It's time to eat. What are you hungry for? Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Joe Dolan. Feed me now. I'm On the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby. It is the Fantasy Feast Eating Podcast presented by DraftKings. The best 30 minutes of on-demand audio and video, youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. Related to fantasy football, you will get each and every week. We're getting closer and closer to Joe's tiers, which are very popular. Tiers of Dolan. Cannot wait in August when we go through that. We also, starting next week, will start to let you know about the best ball drafts against me and Joe. I'm Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman that greatly enjoys not only playing fantasy football, but fantasy analysts. They're psychos. They've got the disease. They've got the sickness. They live and breathe this thing all day, every day, like our guy Joe Dolan at FG underscore Dolan, the fantasy gangster from fantasypoints.com. Just use the code 21FEAST. There is not a single fantasy website I'm aware of that has more employees, more contributors than fantasypoints.com. When are you guys going to hire me, Joe, to be your O-line guy? Do you already have an O-line guy? Uh, Actually, as a matter of fact, Ross, uh, we were uh, – I was asked by somebody – just this week about who's your O-line expert on the site. And I'm like, well, you know, uh, we kind of just, uh, that, that's one of the things that we, 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 maybe we're missing something. Hey, Ross, talk to me after the show. I can send you my rankings. We can do it that yeah. way. Um, that'd be awesome. By the way, Joe, you know, I love you. Yeah. You're not looking great. Now, number one, we're huh. recording this earlier than we normally do. Yeah. And number two, I cannot believe. And we're going to get into the Julio Jones trade from both the Titans' perspective, the Falcons' perspective for fantasy. We got to talk Jamison Crowder. We even got to talk about some of these mini camp reports on certain skill guys. I can't believe they choked again, Joe. I, I mean, Uh-oh. knowing you're a Sixers fan, I, I just have to bring it up. I cannot believe they blew it again. The, the last three nights have been the worst three consecutive nights of basketball watching in my entire life. Yeah, I mean, everybody's getting hurt in the NBA, and uh, I'm getting hurt. Ross, I have a terrible hangover right now. Um, I, the Evan Williams was pouring last night. You know, I, I stick to the cheap stuff when uh, when I'm watching basketball because uh, the, of the chances that I'm going to drink a lot of it. Uh, Ross, I didn't even have my first one until the second half. And uh, I was I, I opened it as a celebratory drink, and I, Ross, I'm just so so entirely sick of it. The series isn't over. I understand that, but like, you know, when there's an NBA All Star, and I'm not naming names here, who gets a standing ovation for performing basic basketball tasks, sometimes at some point I just get frustrated. You know, I was uh, I, I was not a particularly. Uh, great basketball player and my mom would tell me it was because I was way too timid and I agree with that when I was playing sports when I was growing up I was super timid uh I if I could do it all over again I would just be way more aggressive but one thing I would never be is a good free throw shooter I'm a terrible free throw shooter um 
And I remember in eighth grade, we were playing, I was playing for St. Jane CYO and we were playing at Holy Family Gym and I got fouled late in the game and I made two free throws. And like the, the, the cheerleaders, the St. James cheerleaders did like a Joe rocks the house. Cause the cheerleaders knew I was a bad free throw shooter. And I, this was me in eighth grade and I, and I have zero athleticism. And when a crowd of 18,000 people needs to give somebody standing ovation for making a couple of free throws, I mean, uh, give me a break. I'm Ross. The series isn't over. Um, I, I might, uh, I might be fair weather the next couple of games. If, if, if things are looking good, maybe I'll flip the game on, but I can't put myself mentally through that. I can't put my liver through that. Um, I'm, I'm feeling like crap today. Um, so yeah, there we go. Uh, uh, you know, I, it's so funny, Joe, because I'm, my favorite team is my high school, like, and I follow along, but they usually win my high school football team. Other than that, like college and the NFL, that's my profession. So I don't really cheer or like get that into it. I would say the team that means the most next to that is the Sixers, probably. Like mm. I care. I I when the Sixers are good, I like watching them. And it's painful. Like it is painful. And then I hate the Nets too. So the last three nights have been so painful for mm-hmm. me. I hate everything about the Nets. I don't like their players. I don't like their fake fans. I don't like the super team aspect and how they put them together. It's just, it's been the three worst nights that I can remember in a long time, which is why I'm glad to talk fantasy football, Joe, with you here on the Fantasy Feast podcast. Major fantasy implications of the Julio Jones trade. We did not talk about it last week because we had recorded that show earlier, because I was at the beach with my family. So let's dive into it. Let's start with the Titans, and let's mm-hmm. start with Julio Jones. Yeah, Is this a good spot for him with run-heavy Derrick Henry, with A.J. Brown? What does this do for Julio first? Well, first and foremost, um, Ross, he's going at around the fourth round right now, and I think that's overall fair for Julio Jones. I I do. Um, uh, The volume is going to go down for Julio Jones. We know that. But you hope that he makes up for it with uh with with efficiency and now he's never been a touchdown scorer but you think he's going to maybe come in there and replicate what what Corey Davis did last year um in their 15 games together last year uh uh Corey Davis averaged six and a half targets while AJ Brown averaged 7.8 I think Julio Jones can do some damage on six and a half to seven targets per game and you would think that getting Julio Jones look I understand Corey Davis had a breakout year Julio Jones is now 32 but when you look at this trade from from the Titans perspective I still have a hard time saying that Julio Jones isn't better than Corey Davis you know yes the injuries have been a problem but he still plays at a higher level than Corey Davis has and our guy Graham Barfield he came up with a really good article on, on FantasyPoints.com, but he pointed out that according to Sports Info Solutions, in 2020, Julio ranked in fourth in yards gained per route run, and he was first, first, 
first, second, and fifth in the five seasons prior to last year. So he is still playing uh, at a very high level. Per Sports Info Solutions, he was fourth in expected points added per target when he saw throws of 15 or more yards downfield. The only guys better than that on deep throws last year were Curtis Samuel, Emmanuel Sanders, and Justin Jefferson. So Julio Jones is still an elite deep threat. And I kind of think that's what he's going to be for the Titans. You know, I know Calvin Ridley is there in Atlanta and Calvin Ridley is kind of taken over as the number one from what that we look at from a fantasy perspective, but he's got a different kind of receiver opposite him now in AJ Brown. AJ Brown is a true alpha dog X. Um, it allows Julio to be moved around. I think they'll, they'll move him around. I think they'll move Brown around a little bit remains to be seen. Um, if they're going to go with a, pr- a pr- primary slot receiver, if they're going to play 12 personnel in Tennessee. But I just think they are looking at this as a trade that makes their offense more explosive. Julio's ADP is is fair. Um, before the trade, it was 44th overall, which is late fourth round. I, I think he's probably going to stick in that range, go into the fifth round. I think there was a lot of, uh, of consideration that he might be traded built into that. I'm in on Julio for best ball formats because while his volume is going to go hugely down, I mean, Atlanta in the Julio Jones, Matt Ryan era, especially in the recent uh, half decade or so, has been one of the most pass heavy teams in the entire NFL, if not the most pass heavy. That's going down, but I think Julio provides a lot of best ball value at his current price. And especially since, you know, he, there's not the pressure on him to be the 10, 11, 12 target a game guy that he was in Atlanta. What does it mean for A.J. Brown and Josh Reynolds in your mind? Well, Josh Reynolds gets buried. Um, I I still think Josh Reynolds, by the way, can play the slot effectively, but you still wonder if Tennessee is going to be a predominant 12 personnel team. Think um, now uh, Greg Cosell pointed this out to me. The new offensive coordinator there, Downing, he he comes from an 11 personnel background. You know, Scott Linehan is a predominant 11 personnel. So I expect they're going to, to mix that in a little bit more, but they could still run kind of 11 personnel concepts by putting Anthony Ferkser, who's almost exclusively a receiver into the slot. Um, so I, I wonder if they're going to have like kind of a modified 11 personnel with Jeff Swain as a blocking tight end, or are you going to use Josh Reynolds out of the slot? It's not like Josh Reynolds isn't going to play snaps, but he is now, I mean, he was one of my favorite values as kind of a 13th, 14th round pick if Tennessee didn't make this move. But unfortunately, I think if you were invested early in Josh Reynolds, I think you realize just as well as Tennessee did that Tennessee needed to make this move. It was a move Tennessee needed to do. You want to be a Super Bowl contender, you know, going to the championship game a couple years ago. Derrick Henry is in his prime. Ryan Tannehill is in his prime. A.J. Brown is in his prime. You look at this offense as one that really needs to take the next step. And this was a trade that needed to be made. Josh Reynolds was not moving the needle for me as somebody to make that offense better. He's now more of a last round or two type of pick for me. AJ Brown. Yeah. He moved down just a couple of spots in my, um, in my best ball rankings. I moved him behind Calvin Ridley. You know, I think you can move him behind another guy or two, DeAndre Hopkins. I think I had him at at wide receiver four, maybe even wide receiver three prior to the trade. To me, he's still a a top half wide receiver one, uh, one of the top six guys. Um, He's a second round pick, but maybe if you were having trouble breaking the tie between him and, and a Stephon Diggs, or if you were having trouble breaking the tie between him and a DeAndre Hopkins, then maybe this breaks that tie for you because you know the volume isn't a, a, a whole lot uh, in Tennessee. You know, 7.8 targets per game for A.J. Brown 
um, in games he played with Corey Davis last year. You're, you think you're, he's probably going to take a, a little bit of an efficiency hit based on where he was, uh, but I still view A.J. Brown as a firm second-round pick in best ball right now. What about Tannehill? Well, let's start with there. What about Tannehill? Yeah, I moved him up pretty high. Um, and, and here's another aspect. Our guy Wes Huber does a really good job in analyzing coverage shells and how and how they affect for fantasy. Ryan Tannehill over the past couple seasons has been arguably the single best um, uh, quarterback against cover three, which is the predominant coverage shell in the NFL. Julio Jones and A.J. Brown have also been two of the three best wide receivers at producing against cover three. So this is a team that is going to absolutely slaughter against that kind of coverage shell. I think Tannehill's efficiency goes up. You know, I moved him past Matthew Stafford in my rankings. If, you, if you're if you not getting one of those sexy sexy running quarterbacks, you know, even like going to, down to and including Jalen Hurts, Ryan Tannehill is firmly one of my favorite quarterback targets, but he's moving up in the world. World, uh, when it comes to uh, he's moving up in the world when it comes to draft position uh, he's firmly in my top 10 at the quarterback position right now any impact on Derrick Henry Joe uh, yeah I mean it's great for Derrick Henry now the volume might go down but uh, are you putting eight in the box against AJ Brown and Julio Jones because I'm not so I think this is a really good uh, good uh, development for Derrick Henry. Again, the volume is going to go down. But I think you might look at Derrick Henry and say, well, of course the volume is going to go down. You just can't keep feeding a guy 300 or more targets. I think it's good news for Derrick Henry. Um, I just think the Titans are going to look a little bit different. Um I have him as my RB3. Um, maybe this even open up, opens up some some uh, screen game action for him in the underneath area. Uh, I, I I just think that the efficiency is going to be there for Derrick Henry. All in all, I think it's a really good move for the, for the Titans from a fantasy perspective. I like it for fantasy. It improves Tannehill. Um, I, I think it's fair for Julio because now I think he's getting drafted at a fair spot. You know, if he got traded to San Francisco or New England, his ADP would have gotten boosted, in my opinion. His ADP might go down from where it is now as that kind of mid to late fourth round pick. In New England, that thing would have risen, and I would have been way out on Julio. I'm in on Julio at that price. A.J. Brown's going to dip a little bit, but I still think he can be efficient. This is, one again, once again, Ross, we use that term, a narrow fantasy team. This is a narrow team. There's going to be um, – you're, you're going to have A.J. Brown and Julio sucking up most of the targets. You know Henry's going to get all the carries. Ryan Tannehill's going to be efficient. Um, the guy who it hurts is, is a late-round guy like Josh Reynolds. I think it hurts Anthony Ferkser a little bit, but people weren't really drafting Ferkser as anything more than a low-end tight end one and in most instances tight end two. I think he's still in that tight end two range somewhere I'm willing to dabble. But all in all for Tennessee, I think it's a pretty good fantasy move, and it just – raises the ceiling of the offense as a whole. Let's get to Atlanta. Um, What's the impact on this for Calvin Ridley? Uh, Well, the impact for Calvin Ridley is to the moon. I mean, he's going late first, early second round. I can't, I can't argue with that. Um, he's, uh, he's a guy who's, he's one of the best route runners in football. He's going to continue to get open. Um, now maybe the, maybe he sees fewer double coverage, but here's the thing about, here's the thing about Calvin Ridley. People are like, Oh, you know, Julio, they're going to, they're going to focus on Ridley and they're going to take him away. Well, listen to Calvin Ridley's game logs without Julio Jones over the last two seasons, eight for 91 on 10 targets, 
Five for 110 on 13 targets. Eight for 136 on 10 targets. Six for 50 yards and a touchdown on nine targets. Eight for 124 and a touchdown on 12 targets. 10 for 163 and a touchdown on 14 targets. Five for 130 on nine targets. Eight for 52 on 12 targets. The worst fantasy performance, the worst for Calvin Ridley over the last two seasons without Julio Jones in the lineup is 13.2 fantasy points in a PPR. So Calvin Ridley has produced when Julio Jones is out of the lineup. So we're at fantasy points. We have Ridley at wide receiver four. I think you can make an argument for as high as wide receiver two. Um, I, I mean, I know it's a new coaching staff with Arthur Smith, but you look at the defense, you look at the personnel that Atlanta has. Arthur Smith cannot run the same offense he ran in Tennessee. Mike Davis isn't handling that kind of workload in the backfield. Calvin Ridley is a solid bet to lead the NFL targets at this stage. Who else is greatly impacted in Atlanta? Uh, If you were uh, thinking you could uh, sneak Kyle Pitts into like the seventh round of your draft, forget about it. I mean, uh, Ross, I've done drafts where I've seen him go in the fourth round now. I, I mean, Kyle Pitts is consistently going to be going off the board as a top five tight end. He's not going to slip past that in sharp drafts. I understand it. I mean, at this point, I would almost think you're foolish if you don't project him to have the best rookie season by a tight end of all time, given the talent and the available targets. I, I mean, the guy, the, the the ceiling is through the moon. The problem is you have to pay for him to be an outlier. I would rather pay for him to be an outlier than say, oh, you know, I think the guy is going to stink uh, because I think the latter is just flat stupid. The question is, how high are you willing to pay? And right now, it might be uncomfortable for people to take a guy like Kyle Pitts two rounds before somebody like Mark Andrews or Dallas Goddard is coming off the board. And I think that's a completely fair reason to be skeptical because there are really good tight end options, even in the back half of those tight end ones who are going at a much cheaper cost than Kyle Pitts. But if you want an impact player and you're like, this team's going to have to throw the football and you buy in on Kyle Pitts, I'm not going to blame you. I'm just telling you, you got to pay up because he is getting drafted as if he is going to have the best rookie season for a tight end of all time. What about your boy, Russell Gage? Yeah, Russell Gage was was really consistent last year. Um, I moved him into my top 100 players overall. I, I just wonder if, if, if Russell Gage now at this point is somebody who is going to struggle to, you know, get make an impact when he's the clear number two receiver in the offense right now. I mean, look at that depth chart behind uh, Calvin Ridley, Ross. It is not pretty. You know, Russell Gage, you have Alameda Zacchaeus, who is kind of a deep threat. I, I'm, I, He's one of my favorite late-round best ball guys now. They have Frank Darby from Arizona State, who is a sixth-round rookie. You have Christian Blake. Uh, who sounds like uh, who sounds like a poet laureate from the 1830s? <laughs> uh, like so, you're uh, so you're looking at guys on this depth chart who really don't have a whole lot of pedigree. Russell Gage is in my top 100 overall players. I like him as a wide receiver four, wide receiver five. You might view him as a boring option. Maybe, as a matter of fact, maybe somebody like Russell Gage is nice to pair in a wide receiver group in best ball with somebody like a Julio, who you feel is probably going to have a few blow-up games. I'm not sure Gage is going to have blow-up games, but I just expect him to be peppered with targets, much in the same way like somebody like Jamison Crowder was last year. Um, Let's get to the New York Jets. Before we do, by the way, how about the fact, I don't know if you can still get it, 
But right now, DraftKings Sportsbook, if you use the promo code Ross, they're giving you 100 to 1 odds on Bryson DeChambeau getting a birdie during the tournament this weekend. Like, they're kind of giving you $100. Like, he's going to get at least one birdie. What What are we doing here? It is the U.S. Open, Ross, though. You know, they make those conditions tough. He'll get at least one. I mean, come on. The way he hits the ball, he's going to yeah. – look, he might get some bogeys, too. But he's going to get a birdie. So put a dollar on Bryson DeChambeau. Watch him have a birdie. Get 100 bucks. Use the code Ross. That's how you do it. How do the Jets do it when it comes to throwing the football, Joe? Crowder reworked his contract. Mm-hmm. I did not think this was going to happen. I, I thought with them drafting Elijah Moore, I thought Crowder was going to tell him to stick it. I thought Crowder was going to get cut and or traded with the Jets taking some of the money. I am a little surprised by this, and I'm curious where Crowder fits in now for you. Um, He's still a super late-round pick for me. Um, One thing that I have to point out is it's a new staff. So you have Robert Sala coming in there. Obviously, you have LaFleur as the offensive coordinator. Um, That's not to say Jamison Crowder can't contribute to this team, but – you said it yourself. You said, I thought he was going to tell them to shove it and he was going to get cut. The fact that they told him to take a pay cut tells you, like, hey, dude, you know, thanks for your service, but new staff, kind of new regime. You're out there. You signed Keelan Cole and you signed Corey Davis and Denzel Mims is in his second season. And then you draft Elijah Moore, who I think can do more than be a slot receiver. But I think when you project him early in his career to be, that's where you probably line him up is in the slot. And I was reading an article uh, from uh, Connor Hughes of The Athletic, who does a nice job covering the Jets. And he said, like, Elijah Moore was, like, far and away the best player at Jets OTAs. Now, we always get these rookie height pieces. But, you know, Elijah Moore was a guy I liked in the pre-draft process. I actually had him going in the first round mentally. I didn't do a full mock draft myself, but I had Elijah Moore going in the first round. Um, I thought it was great value for the Jets in the second round. And I think ultimately that Elijah Moore is going to take that job from Jamison Crowder as the predominant slot receiver. And the best chance Jamison Crowder has to be that predominant slot receiver is if Elijah Moore, they decide he could do more and he plays outside. You know Corey Davis is going to be the number one. They paid him to be the number one. Or at least he's going to get every shot to be that X. Um, so he's he's locked in. I think I think it's going to be hard to keep Elijah Moore off the field. So Jamison Crowder has to hope Elijah Moore, in my opinion, uh, takes the job from Keelan Cole or Denzel Mims, somebody on the perimeter, um, and they think that uh, that he's going to contribute in that regard. But then I look at the Jets' receiving core, and you know they don't have a Calvin Ridley, but look at the Jets' depth vis-a-vis that of the Atlanta Falcons, and you're like. Man, they've got some names here, Ross. Like, they've got guys, you know, Bryson Berrios is still there. They've got guys who have contributed uh, in the past. So you've got a, a, a decent uh, a group of receivers for Zach Wilson, who, you know, in a lot of drafts is still going undrafted. As of right now, I think he's only one of two rookie quarterbacks guaranteed to start in week one. So maybe there's some value there because I think the Jets have more weapons than uh, than the conventional wisdom might might suggest. You mentioned something I think is important, and it's great because I wanted to ask you about it anyway. You talked about the Elijah Moore camp reports. Mm-hmm. So I remember we had one of your guys on. I think it was Scott Barrett who said that he watches every post-draft press conference. Yep. So 
Now that's different because that's the coaches talking. But what I want to know is, what do you do with minicamp OTA reports? What like is it uh, means a yeah. lot, means a little, somewhere in the middle, or means a lot, means nothing, somewhere in the middle, depends on the source. Like what are we what are we doing with this? Somewhere in the middle. Um, now, of, of course. When we when we analyze and we're we've got guys in the pre-draft process we like. By the way, Scott Barrett, Elijah Moore was like his guy. So like so that's why I was turned on to Elijah Moore in the first place. Um, but when it when it comes to these reports, I file them away. I'd surely surely like a guy to have positive reports more so than negative reports. If a guy doesn't have anything, you know, I don't really care about that. But then you want to confirm it. You want to confirm it into training camp when the whole team's there and they're starting to ramp up. And if Connor Hughes is saying in August, guys, I'm telling you, Elijah Moore is still out there kicking ass, I'm especially going to make note. If Elijah Moore looks good in the preseason, I'm especially going to make note. Oh, my God, Ross, how nice is it to have a normal offseason this year? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm excited that we're going to be able to, to look at some of these guys during the preseason. But I put it somewhere in between. Like, I want to hear positive reports uh, more so than negative reports. But for a guy like Elijah Moore, who was a high, he was a premium pick. He, I know he wasn't a first rounder, but a top 40 pick's a premium pick. Um, you look at the, the the draft capital, the talent level, the fact that they asked Jamison Crowder to take a pay cut to even stay on the roster. That all spells good news for Elijah Moore for me. Got it. Um, I want to get to a question, Joe. We don't do this very often, but if our listeners ever take advantage of any of the sponsors, whether it's DraftKings or Fantasy Points using the code 21FEAST, and you send me a question, I'm going to ask Joe. You take advantage of one of our sponsors and you have a question, you get to ask Joe or me the question. This comes to us, Joe, from Jan. I have a fantasy question for you. I apologize in advance for somewhat long-winded part of this which is to give some background. I've been in two leagues for a long time. I have a theory I wanted to run by you. All the experts insist you draft running backs first and often. Because I was drafting 10th out of 12, I drafted heavy on wide receivers. I had four of the top 10 points producers due to my belief that there are only a few running backs that truly get heavy workloads. Most teams have running backs by committees. Mm -hmm. Long story short, I won the league with by far the best record and cleaned up in the playoffs due to my wide receivers just crushing it. My team was the only one that used this tactic. So is this a reflection of the past proliferation in the NFL and a monumental change in fantasy football or just an aberration? Uh, it sounds like Jan accidentally dis- uh, discovered zero RB, <laughs> like like without without uh, explicitly going out and doing so. Um, so no, Jan, it is it to call it an aberration would be false because that is a strategy that has worked out for a lot of people, like Sean Siegel in, in big money leagues when he you know came out writing that article uh, all those years ago. It was especially effective last year, Ross. Because of the number of bell cow running backs who missed action. 
Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. You know, Ezekiel Elliott uh, was in an offense that was broken after Dak Prescott went down. So all these high draft picks ended up biting the biting the dust because of injuries or other reasons. Two years ago, it was a very bad year for zero running backs because all the big-time running backs stayed healthy and played well. It was a really great year for those first-round running backs. So if you average it out and you're like, well, it's an aberration because all the running backs got hurt, that's not necessarily fair because I think you can have a zero RB success even in a year where there's teams that – that uh excuse me, when, when big-time running backs don't get injured. I think it's just a little bit harder. But I think you're playing the averages when you play zero RB. Oh, these guys are going to get hurt. We're artificially bumping some guys up because we think they're going to be a bell cow running back. You know, for instance, I might look at to, to bring into Atlanta, you know, Mike Davis is going in the fourth and fifth round. Miles Gaskin of the Dolphins is going in the fourth and fifth round because people think these guys are going to be bell cows. Um, and every single year, there are guys drafted in the first and second round who crap out at that price. Um, this also brings me to another uh, article that Scott Barrett wrote last year, which was bell cow or bust. He was looking at this and saying, I want a bell cow running back. But if I don't get a bell cow running back, I'm loading up on wide receivers. You know, I think people take the zero RB and they're like, oh, that means you don't draft a running back until like the 12th round. Some people have done that. That's not really what it means. You know, I, I I think modified zero RB is something that I've employed in the past where, all right, I've got my first running back. I took my Derrick Henry at number four overall. I got Saquon Barkley at six this year because I think he's going to bounce back. But I'm going to I'm not going to force the issue at the running back position elsewhere. I'm not going to take Miles Sanders in the second round if I don't feel good about his role. I'm not going to take Clyde Edwards Alaire in the second round if I don't feel good about his role. Not to say I don't like those players, but I'm just making an example. And I'm just going to take the best player on the board. Like, dude, that is a very viable strategy. I don't think it's it's a reflection of the pass heaviness of the NFL, though that makes it a lot more viable. I just think it's a reflection that there are multiple ways to build a winning fantasy team and loading up at wide receiver, maybe taking an elite tight end, maybe investing in somebody like a Lamar Jackson or Kyler Murray, a quarterback who's going to run and then supplementing them in later rounds with handcuff running backs or pass catching running backs who are going to get you. uh, Just a handful of points every week. And maybe you end up lucking out on the waiver wire. I mean, that's an extremely viable way to build a fantasy team. And no, it's not something you got lucky with. You you employed the right strategy. Um, you you had a, reason, a sound reasoning behind it. The board didn't fall the way it needed to for you to get that bell cow running back. And if I can take a bell cow running back in the first round, I'm doing it. But there's not, there's not 12 of those guys. There's not 24 of those guys. So... Yeah, I like some of the second-round running backs. I like Joe Mixon this year quite a bit. I like that Gio Bernard is gone in Cincinnati. You know, But if you don't feel comfortable doing that, man, there are some really damn good wide receivers and tight ends available in those first couple rounds, and you can employ zero RB again this year. At FG underscore Dolan, follow this man. Go to FantasyPoints.com. Use the code 21FEAST. He's an absolute stud. They all are over there. And I love questions like that. Go to RossTucker.com, the sponsor of Pet Tab. See which one, which code you want to use. Send it to me, Ross at RossTucker.com, after you take advantage of it. 
and ask Joe a question. It's a great time of year to get Joe's answers to thoughts like that. That was awesome. Thank you very much, Jan. Other than that, I'm stuffed. We're done. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker football podcast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and the College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found. A lot of times on the show, I mention DraftKings. Here's what you need to know. you got to be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 100Gambler or in Indiana, 109WITHIT. By the way, if what I was talking about included a deposit bonus, doesn't always. Sometimes it does. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough, and deposit bonuses are paid out in site credit. 